Good morning and welcome. I want to add mine. Uh, welcome to Lachlan. So great to see you here. My name is Rowan, uh, one of the pastors here. And it is my great privilege to keep looking at this part of God's Word today to make sense of what God is saying to us to help us to think through who we are because of Jesus. Uh, so why don't we spend a moment now just coming to our God and asking Him by His Spirit to help us understand His Word and to apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You so much for Your Word that you are not silent, that you have not remained silent, but you have spoken in this world and you have taken us out to be able to see who you are. You've lifted our eyes from the horizon to recognize you speaking. So we pray this morning that by your spirit, we would hear this word and by your word, you'd shape us and mold us and comfort us. Show us areas we need to change. Show us areas we need to stand firm in. Show us things we need to change about our understanding of you. Lord, we pray you would shape us to be more like Jesus this day. Amen. Well, part of being normal, psychologists tell us, uh, is the desire to be liked. And we generally like to be liked. Now, from our youngest days, the fear and feeling of no one liking us has a significant effect on our lives. I remember quite early on, my mum taught me this song. It went something like this. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Think I'll go and eat worms. Does everyone, does everyone remember that song? Big ones, small ones, fat ones, skinny ones, ones that wiggle and squirm. It just gets weirder as it goes on. Bite their heads off, suck their blood out, throw their skin away. Uh, nobody knows how much I like them. I eat them three times a day. I think it was designed to take your mind off the fact that some people don't like you. And so then you just go and eat worms and you're like, oh, that's gross. Then you forget about it. Some sort of diversion tactic that parents give to kids. But I'm like, why would we sing these words? But those words come off our lips, particularly as children, didn't they? Nobody likes me. I've got no friends. No one, so-and-so doesn't want to play with me anymore. Those childhood phrases still echo through our adult lives, don't they? Although usually we're a little bit more sophisticated in how we say it, although not always. Sometimes we say it in just as childish ways. But we've all felt that pain of relational hurt, of tension, People not liking us or what we think or what we stand for. Or even worse, that look of disgust or that hatred that comes from people who just hurt us. It's incredibly hurtful. And generally, it's something that we try to avoid. No one sets out in life with a goal of being hated. Not normally. But what Jesus tells his closest friends just hours before you would die in their place is that it is impossible to be friends with Jesus and friends with the world. It is impossible to be friends with Jesus and friends with the world. Let me say it another way. It's impossible to be popular in the eyes of the world, to be revered and successful and envied, part of their tribe, one of the boys, one of the girls. It is impossible to be any of those things and follow Jesus. Point number one today is the hate of the world. It's got four points. Point number one, the hate of the world. In John 15, verse 19, Jesus says these words. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Well, glad you came to church today, I bet. What a great day. The world hates me. I've gone home so excited. It's not really... The poster, um, the poster verse to put up on your wall to say, hey, become a Christian. Life will be hard. <laughs> but it really is what I and you need to hear. 
So we might continue as people trusting in Jesus. So we might hold on to Jesus and experience his life, hope and joy. It's also what you need to hear if today you've come along and you're checking out the things of Jesus. If you don't yet follow him, because the world around us is trying to suck you in and spit you out. And Jesus is saying, live for what matters. Live for what lasts. Fix your eyes on what matters. The world, if you follow Jesus, will hate you. Now, as John uses this word world here, he's not talking about the trees and the grass. He's not saying that the grass hates you. Although, if you want to walk all over it all the time, maybe it does hate you. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about the cultures of the earth, the traditions and systems and expectations and norms of the people who we share the face of the earth with. See, the world around us tells us that Culture is king. That our cultures, our ways of thinking, our systems and structures and expectations of the world are good and right and must be followed. Culture provides the operating manual of how to live within a particular group of people in a particular place at a particular time. Culture gives us the guidelines of what's acceptable and inappropriate. Each culture holds its own cultural values as kind of ultimate rules to live by. And the world around us scorns anyone who breaks the cultural code. But there's a few problems with a worldview that focuses on culture being so strong. Firstly, we live in a multicultural society. There is not just one culture. A society where many cultures live side by side, cultures expressing different views, sometimes opposing views. A number of years ago, I um, was on a panel for a church planting organization talking about uh, contextualization, the way we contextualize to hear, uh, to speak the gospel in the world around us. I was speaking on a panel with, with someone else and we needed somewhere to stand and sit that kind of felt right for the room size. And before we kind of started, there wasn't many places to do it. So one of the, the host church people said, why don't we just grab a table from outside? So these two guys went and got a table and brought it in and sat the table at the front. And the other host and I sat on the table with our legs on the chair. It was like a picnic table and and gave this kind of talk on contextualization. Towards the end of the talk, we we had a a, a moment uh, for questions. And the first question that came was someone put up their hand and said, are you aware that within a Pacific Island and Maori culture, sitting on a table is incredibly offensive as I'm sitting on the table? I'm like, oh, no. What, what are we speaking on? Contextualization. I'm like, oh, this is a shocker. And I was like, is this offensive to some? A few people were like, yep, so we got up, we moved the table. Uh, thankfully, the person from that home church that kind of put the table there, who, who was a Kiwi, said, actually, I didn't even know that, and I put it there, it was me. So good on him. He took the fall for us uh, in that point. But we really got called out. Uh, a little bit after that session, when kind of things moved on, that person came up and said, oh, look, I wasn't sure if I should call it out there and then, but since you were talking on contextualization, I thought I'd bring it up. And they were actually quite antagonistic and wanted to kind of go a little bit further. And, and we were kind of like, look, we're trying to do our best here. Um, and as they kind of pushed and pushed, I said, sorry, I just need to point something out to you. While you're recognizing one cultural thing that I definitely did step on the toes of, you also called me as the leader and the other people on the panel out in front of everyone who is here, which to all the Asians in the room is very culturally inappropriate. Are you aware of that? At that point, she went bright red. And suddenly you saw that there is not just one right or wrong way. We live in the world where our cultures 
clash against one another. What it shows us is that in a multicultural society, there are different norms and expectations. And I want to put it to you that true multiculturalism, where everyone is together, doesn't exist. A lecturer at college held this line out to me, and it's been really helpful ever since. Multiculturalism does not exist. What exists is plural monoculturalism. Plural monoculturalism. Lots of single cultures living next to each other, bumping into one another. And that's the world that we live in. But the problem is we come along and we think of culture as neutral and sacred. But every culture, I want to put to you, is sinful. Every culture, including my own and yours, is sinful. Not in the same way, but each culture has a set of rules and obligations that set up a kind of competition to God as the ultimate authority. Even Cultural Christianity, people that come along and say we need to live good lives as good Christians. Even that, in terms of putting forward a view that says we just need to be morally good people, is a clash against the creator of the universe. Just like the clash that happens when someone from one culture intersects and meets with someone from another culture, there is a clash when someone lives, not by the cultural norms and expectations of the world around us, but for the King of Kings. The God who is in control of the universe. When someone lives for his kingdom, it causes a massive clash. So Jesus says to his disciples just hours before his death, John 15 verse 19, Because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Now sometimes there's a number of sociological reasons that the world does hate us. And I need to be frank. Sometimes Christians can be outright jerks. We really can. We can kind of walk around as if we know better than everyone because we've got so much more intellect than others. We can be judgmental. We can say, look, our church is the only church. Our church is the best church and every other church is horrible. We can walk around saying, oh, that way of life, as if you'd live that way and look down our noses at people. We can be uncaring. Sometimes we can be just awkward and weird. Like it's true, right? We use these words that nobody else uses. I'm just in the spot of my journey. I'm calling it a sanctification station, you know. Like, what is that? Who says that? I'm going to drink in deep from the holiness of God. Come and join me. And your person at work's like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you talking? I don't even understand what you just said. We speak with this naive idealism in the world, and people kind of look at us, and they think we look like this guy. Can I see a photo of him? Ned Flanders. Is he there? No. Oh, I was waiting for the laugh. Thank you. Right? It's like this guy. It's like, hardly ho, neighbor, and off we walk. Um, if you want to get a view of what I think the world thinks about Christianity, watch The Simpsons. Check out how the world views Ned Flanders because there's a sense in which Ned's just awkward and weird. Right, that's, that's enough. Thanks, Ned. Maybe the world hates us because we're just obnoxious jerks. And that might be true, and we need to ask ourselves, is that the issue? But that's not the issue Jesus is talking about. The issue Jesus is bringing up here is not a sociological reason that the world hates us. It's a theological reason. It's a reason focused on God. It is about God and not us. Look at verse 21. They will do these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. They will treat you this way. They will hate you. They will, they will not love you. They will see you as someone very different, the world around us, the cultures of the world around us, on account of Jesus' name. 
because they do not know the one who sent me. If you were of the world, if you were from them and with their, the, the world's values and morals and ideas, the world will love you, Jesus says. It would accept you as one of its own because you are, because you share the same values, that you live for the same things, you march to the beat of the same drum. Of course the world will love you and accept you and embrace you as its own because you are its own. You belong to it. But Jesus is saying that those that he has chosen out of the world, those who follow Jesus, are not of this world. You do not belong here. This is not your home. The new creation is your home. You live for different values, for for the values of God's kingdom. And as we live in this world... We need to make sure the values we hold out are the values the Bible holds out, pointing people to who Jesus is. Now, I'm not saying we ought to live totally disregarding the cultures we live in. No, we need to understand the world that we live in so that we can explain to the world we live in in a way that the world will hear who Jesus is and what he has done and how we can show how amazing he is. But don't expect to be liked for saying that stuff. In fact, Jesus tells us, expect to be hated Because the world hates Jesus and doesn't know God. See, lots of Christians, we live in the world in a kind of culture-up type of way. We try and live like the world around us, to be loved by the world around us, to have influence by the world around us. And when we're at the workplace, we censor the kind of Christian parts of us. And not just the the, the kind of socks and jandals feel, but we, we we also censor our words and speaking of our God. We start fitting in with the expectations of the world around us. We live in a culture-up type of way. We don't speak of sin, or at least we don't talk about it. We don't say, look, I actually think there is only one God. I think Jesus is the true and living God. We we, we remove those from the conversation because we live in a culture-up way. And that is no Christianity at all. What we need to do, what Jesus is expecting of these disciples as he goes to the cross on their behalf is to live with a kingdom down mentality. A kingdom down. We are not of this world. Jesus has died in our place and has risen and will come back again to judge the living and the dead. He is the king. He's the one who made everyone. He's the one who sustains everyone in the whole world. And he has made himself known and spoken and drawn people out to say, do you see me? The message God has for this world, the message he has for us, is that without Jesus' death in our place, we are all destined to death, judgment and hell. That's where we see the guilt of the world, point number two. The guilt of the world. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, if I had not come and spoken to them, They would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else had done, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. The world hates Jesus, not because he does miraculous works, not because he does amazing things where healing the sick and and raising the dead, The world hates Jesus because he points out our need for a saviour. Because he came into the world and spoke and acted as the one who would be the king to rule forever. And the establishment, the rulers and the authorities of the time that hated that. 
do you feel when the new kid on the block comes in and, and takes your position in the soccer team or in the workplace culture or in the, in the schoolyard or wherever it is? You get frustrated. You're like, how, how dare they call wherever the next thing is? I'm the social queen of this area. The world hates Jesus because he comes and lives and points out our sinfulness. Creation does point out God's eternal power and divine nature. Paul tells us that in Romans 1. Here it is, Romans 1.19. What can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So at the start of Romans, Paul says the whole world is without excuse before God because the world points out that there is a creator. Think this came about by accident? That'd be like saying, you know, I ran into my garage and bumped over a bottle of oil, and after a series of chain reactions and a number of years, out came a brand new Tesla. Right? It's unlikely. <laughs> unlikely. You look at the world and it says there's, there's an eternal God. His, his eternal power and divine nature has been seen. But Jesus says there's something special about his coming that makes people even more well, unable to be excused. See, if Jesus had not spoken, the particular sin Jesus is accusing the world of would, would not be able to be known. And that sin is the sin of rejecting Jesus. Rejecting the way, the truth and the life. Rejecting the only way to know God. Jesus turns up and says, look, I am God. And all his signs point to the fact that he is the promised king. But the world says, no, you're not. We don't need you. I want to live my way. I'm comfortable. I like living this way. Get out of my life. I want nothing to do with you. But now, since Jesus has spoken and acted in the world, since we have his word, since you and I have his word today, we have no excuse. I need to say, friends, that that includes us. I take it everyone in this room has heard of Jesus, has heard of his works and what he has done. God has preserved that word through the Bible, throughout human history. Secular sources like Josephus and Tacitus and other sources like Pliny all testify to the works Jesus did throughout human history. To the way people followed him as, as a miracle worker, to, to, to who he is. Human history holds the existence and good works of Jesus as history. Which means none of us who've heard of Jesus have any excuse for not treating him as the only way to God. And when we hold that view in the world, when we speak that view, when the disciples would speak that view, when Jesus spoke that view, it was incredibly offensive to every human being. That is what it means by on account of his name, because of who he is and what he has done. See, on our own, we actually don't think we need God. The only reason that we know him, Jesus tells us, is because God chose us. Not because of anything good within you or I, but because of God's choice. There was no intrinsic value that made him go, yes, that one's better than that one. In fact, if you take God's history, it's actually the other way around. I'll choose the one that's absolutely nothing and nobody to make something of. So people will go, wow, you did that with them? <laughs> that's what Israel was. That doesn't give us any grounds to think we as Christians are better than anyone else. But it must give us grounds to live for him. To live in his world for his kingdom. The world is guilty. You and I, before God, are guilty. And Jesus is our only solution. 
And as we speak that truth and as we live that truth, it's offensive to the world around us. I need to ask you at the moment, have you seen who Jesus is? Have you looked at the claims of who he is and what he's done? That, that he is God. That he's the only way to life. That he brings life and life to the full that does not end. Where are you at with this man called Jesus? And maybe step back and think to yourself, who is calling the shots in my life? Is it my culture or my God? Is it Jesus that I'm submitting to or my culture that I'm submitting to? It won't be a black and white answer in every area, but there'll be points where we're thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm actually just letting culture ride over what the Bible says here. I'm not actually thinking through how I express what God's kingdom is and to live for. I'm just living out what culture says I ought to do. The call to come to Jesus it won't make for an easy life. Jesus says, the world will hate you. But knowing the king, being known by the king, and enjoying the life he offers now in relationship with him, where we know he's in control and he's good, and looking forward to a life that does not end life after death, oh, it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it, rather than living for something that will disintegrate and disappear and be thrown away. Live for the kingdom, Jesus says. Live as a light in the world. That's point number three. Live as a light in the world. See, the world we live in, it's not at peace. So often we think, oh, maybe it is, you know, it's, it's fairly peaceful. Uh, the biggest problems we have at the moment, there are some issues of health that are going around that, that affects particularly Australians with issues of toilet paper and not having enough. <laughs> and all sorts of things flood through, but in the end... It's so easy to think that we're not at war. There's no war going on. I don't see guns and bullets. I'm not really fearful of nuclear and biological weapons at the moment. They're not the real enemy around us. What we see Jesus prepare the disciples for is that they are at war. Because Satan is at war with God. Satan is trying to take out as many people as possible by pretending you're not at war. Everything's good and calm and relaxed. Just cruise on into hell with me. 1 Peter says that he's been prowling, prowling around like a lion from the beginning of, of, really, since mankind's rebellion, roaring out lies, looking for people to devour. Satan wants you. He wants me and you. And he wants to convince us that we don't need to live for the world. We don't need to live for God. We need to live for the world around us. We need to enjoy life now. Just have a bit of you. Just enjoy life. It's good. Look at it. God made it good. You won't surely die. That's what he's trying to do to every single person. And the most dangerous thing is to ignore that. It's to think that he's not doing that. It's to think, yeah, it is normal to be just like the world around us, to be acceptable and to be embraced. I need to be embraced by this world and have this world love me. That's Satan's lie from the beginning to the end. To be of this world, to live its values and principles, is to be in bed with the enemy. To claim to be Christian and to be loved by the world as one of its own is really being a double agent. You know those, those spy movies where you're never sure which side that person's on? Are they, are they playing for this team? Are they playing for that team? Well, if we are living, trying to be a Christian or pretending we're a Christian, but also trying to be part of the world, 
Really, we're only an agent for ourselves. We're trying to get the best out of both sides. I love this stuff that Christianity gives, the community and the insurance policy of eternity. But I also love the world and all the cool things that are there. And I just, I just want to be friends with everyone and hold hands and be happy, you know? You're trying to use both sides for your own purposes. And I feel it. To live with worldly principles when we're at work and at uni, when no one else is around... And then godly principles once we're at church on Sundays and in our small group and we talk about, we know the language to say and and the things to do. We have this dual agent, double agent thing going on. Friday and Saturday night, we live for worldly pleasure and Sunday morning, we come back to God and apologize. Now, if that's you, welcome. Welcome to being part of us. Welcome to being someone who doesn't have life sorted and feels the stretch of living in this world but but, but not being of this world. We all have these double agent tendencies, but Jesus is saying, do not give in to them. The world will hate you. Don't think you need to stop living as a Christian in the world around you. In fact, the only thing you need to stop is thinking that you can be friends with the world and friends with Jesus. It is impossible to be friends with Jesus and friends with the world. Friends, the world will hate you. If you're someone that likes to be liked publicly, if you're a words of affirmation person, then look out. I am. And we have to die to the impulses of of saying, look at me and and tell me what's great about me. We have to die to the impulses of a social media world, the world that likes to be liked. I want to post things online that people say, yes, that's good. Now, we shouldn't post things online that are just rude. I'm not advocating for that. Please do not hear me. Go out of here and go, I'm going to act in a way that the world will definitely hate me by telling them they all suck. Don't do that. Ask yourself, is this loving? (laughs) Truth in love. But we have to die to the impulses that live to be liked. And we need to live to be a light in the world. Not living for what the world values, but God's kingdom. So people go, there's something different about them. They're living for something else. There's something that drives them that is different. And that might raise curiosity. It might raise hate. Sometimes we think, look, I'm sure there's a way, though, that we can have the world love Christians and the Bible and not sell out to the world. Surely we can do both. Friends, God the Son himself came to earth. Jesus turned up. And how do they treat him? They nailed him to a cross and killed him. They hated him. If anyone could live in the world in such a way as to make the world like them and to speak the truth, it would be Jesus. But Jesus turned up and they hung him on a cross. How do you think they're going to treat us? You can't do it anywhere near as good as him. You aren't anywhere near the perfect people that he was. It cannot happen. When we want to be friends with the world... We want to look like we live like the world around us. We sell out on Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus' expectation is that the world will hate you. And the question to ask yourself this morning is this. If the world loves me, am I living the way Jesus has called me to live? Am I speaking the way Jesus has called me to speak? Do I have the same priorities and passions and desires John 3.19, Jesus says these words. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, Jesus. People love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Or 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Or Jesus. Luke 9.25. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? So how then do we live in a world that hates us? Point number four, how do we live in the world? How do we live in the world? Well, there's four short subpoints here. The first one is vaccination. Point A, vaccination. Remember, as you live in the world, the world hated Jesus first. So Jesus preps his disciples and us to expect it, to not be surprised by it. So not kind of go out into the world and thinking like, oh, what is this? But to remind us, we've joined the army and when people start shooting at us, we don't go, hey, hang on a minute, what is that? Stop it, put that away, it's not what I signed up for. Jesus tells them as a vaccination to prevent us throwing it away, getting sidetracked and blinded by the lies of Satan. So don't be surprised if the enemy is shooting at you. Don't be surprised if it hurts, if, if things go wrong and is hard. Don't react by hating the people who hate you, but love them by pointing them to the true king. Compassionately, lovingly, patiently. Walking alongside them. Praying for them. How do we live in the world? Number one, by hearing Jesus' warning and his vaccination. The world will hate you. Number two, by recognizing your identity. By recognizing your identity. Remember whose you are. Jesus says he chose these disciples out of the world. God, if you are a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, God chose you. You are not of this world. Though you came out of it, you've been chosen by God because of nothing you have done and your future is eternity with him. Remember whose you are. And when you start to fear man rather than God, remember that God is in control of the universe, that he is the king, that you are living not for this world's culture, but for the kingdom that will not end. Speak to yourself. If you have a fear of conflict, you need to trust Jesus because there will be conflict. We are called to it. Jesus did not come to unite the world, but to divide and bring people to himself. If you're not comfortable having people upset with you for holding different views or for speaking something that may have offended them as long as it was loving and, and truthful, if you're not comfortable with having people upset with you or thinking ill of you or speaking badly of you, it's going to be very hard to keep going as a Christian. But if you recognize your identity is firmly and securely grafted into the true vine Jesus, that Jesus has come and he has died in our place and risen again and secured our place in eternity because of his death and resurrection, then we're going to say, yes, I can live for him because my life doesn't depend on the here and now. I don't need to submit to this world's rules. 
You'll live for Jesus and his kingdom. Oh, it will hurt and it will be hard. But no matter what the cost, you will say, I live for my king. Point number two, recognize your identity, whose you are. Point number three, trust. Trust the sovereign plan of God. That whatever you are going through and whatever hate and hurtful comments get flown and flung at you, it happened for a reason and it was God's reason. It was part of his plan. Where do we see it? Verse 25. Come with me. John chapter 15, verse 25. But this happened, Jesus said. So the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. Those that hated Jesus at this point, their own law, the Jews' own law had in it that they would hate the one God would send for no reason. Speaking of of David. And Jesus is applying that to him to say, this is exactly what David spoke of, was that they would hate me for no reason. This has been God's plan for the beginning. God is in control. This is his battle, his war. And he's already won. There is nothing anyone can do to to derail his plan. So, with great confidence, trust him. Oh, it will hurt. It will be hard. All sorts of people will desert us. Coming from all sorts of places, Satan will spew all sorts of lies at you. But come back to God's word, for he is faithful and true. Trust him. And fourthly, boldness. How do we live in God's world? boldly, to live and speak and act and pray as one who is in the world, but not of the world. That's what Jesus calls them to do as a a kingdom of God person, living with the kingdom down, not culture up. And that's actually why we need church. It's why we need to come together throughout the week. It's why we need each other, because church is, is a foretaste of the kingdom of God. You get a way better speaker than me, Jesus. Uh, But we have him now in his word as we look at it. And so as we come together, we get to hear our Savior. We get to hear our God. And we get to think on it and talk together about how we're going and the hurts and the hardships. Church will never be perfect. Not this side of Jesus' return. But we have to remember whose we are. And that's a great place to express it, is here. As we hear the word of God together, as we encourage one another together. That's why we gather. To encourage, to, to build up. Satan wants you in this world to swim with the tide of the world around you. But anyone can go with the tide. You know how easy it is to drift out to sea. But Jesus calls us to swim against the tide, living for his kingdom. And he equips us with one another and the church to build one another up. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. It's interesting to note, isn't it, that some churches get a lot of opposition from the world, sometimes because they say dumb stuff and do dumb things. Other times, because they hold out the truth of the gospel and the world doesn't like it. Other churches seem to be loved by the world, embraced by the world. We love what they're doing and they're really a part of this. And I want to ask, why is that? It is possible for a church or a person to to mention the doctrines of the Bible, to understand the scriptures, but to still be man-centered and not God-centered, to still be living for this world rather than the kingdom of God. 
Surely there's something wrong if the world loves our message, if the world embraces us as a church as their own. So Jesus reminds the disciples as he reminds us this morning, we are at war with the ways of this world. That's why we need to be plugged into to churches and small groups that will ground us in the word of God and focus us on his kingdom and send us out into the world to love it by pointing the world around us to the king and his kingdom. That's why we need to be part of a church. It's why we need to meet together and pray together and share our lives together. It's why we need to not pretend everything is just okay. That's one of the biggest victories of Satan is to say, yes, go to church in your small group and say, no, everything's fine and your prayer points are about traveling mercies, about, oh, please keep me safe as I go home from work each day. And that's a great thing to pray. We're at war. <laughs> Live out what you're living. <laughs> Share that with the, the groups you're in. Share your war wounds, your failings, your joys. Don't feel like we need to just continue with a stiff upper lip. Satan wins. We think we're isolated and then we get pulled aside and we walk away. When we're praying for a nice week and a comfortable life, we've missed that we are at war. Let me ask you today, who are you sharing God's mission plans with? Who are you chatting to about saying, hey, pray for me this week as I try to get to know this person or as I keep trying to stand firm in this situation, as I keep trying to hold out the views of the kingdom rather than the views of the culture that I'm in? Who are you sharing that with? Who are you inviting alongside you to share that with? How are you developing your battle readiness? To think through, how do I live in this world? Who are you sharing your vulnerabilities, your brokenness, your hurts and your pains? God has not called us to be solo soldiers, but together to be in platoons of gospel partners. What a joy that is. What a great joy that is to be together as we ask God to do these great things on that vision board for his glory. He might choose to do different things at different times. That's great. I'm with him. We're asking him to say, Lord, please use us for your glory. Bring us together as gospel partners. And as we love the world we're in, not the things of the world, but the world, as we speak and live God's truth in it, we need to remember it is impossible to be friends with the world and be followers of Jesus. We've got to make the choice. So the question today is, whose will you be? Let me pray. Lord God, as we think through the amazing truth that you've shown us in your word, that Jesus is king, that he has died in our place, that he has risen again, and that for those who trust in him, we have an eternity to look forward to, we ask that that truth would so capture our hearts and minds that we live for you in every area of life. Show us, Lord, where we're getting sucked into the world around us, to wanting to be loved and embraced by the world. And help us to speak the truth in love carefully and compassionately. Please, by your spirit, bring people to yourself. And today, Lord, for those of us that are here and that have seen the way the world is trying to pull us away from you and want to step in, would you reveal yourself? Would you help those people to come and trust you? For, Lord, we, we need you. Jesus is our only hope but he is also our secure and certain hope. Let us, Lord, live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, 
We'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.